What's up, guys, and happy fall quarter. I am John Morkin, and I am joined by Anna and Khalil alongside me in this Zoom that we now call a norm in the uh, fabled year 2020. Uh, we are Take or Miss, and we will be talking sports with you all throughout the rest of this academic year and offering our very our freezing hot takes that no one asked for, as well as having some great guests throughout our show. Uh, we will be airing live on Saturdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the UCLA radio app and the streaming website. So please continue to join us over the next few months and uh, spread the word to your friends and family as well. Uh, should we get into it? Let's, uh, let's start with the intros. Uh, my name is John Morkin. I am a 27-year-old third-year uh, communications major. PA minor, and uh, I'm old because I was in the Army active duty, unfortunately, for six years prior to this. Uh, I moved to LA two years ago, and I'm originally from Wisconsin. Uh, so go Pack Go, go Bucks, and go Brewers as I fight through tears. Uh, so yeah, I have open Wisconsin sports bias. I don't care. Um, I am into, or I'm in the, I'm on the UCLA rowing team. Uh, I'm involved in club golf, the uh, Student Veterans Association, or the Student Veterans of America uh, chapter here at UCLA as well. And that is enough about me. Yeah, all right. What's up guys? Um, my name's Anna. Um, I'm a second year psych major. Um, I'm from Boston, so I love all things Boston sports and Tom Brady, so I'm probably already your least favorite person on this show, um, but Tom Brady's a GOAT, prove me wrong, we can get into it. Uh, I grew up playing soccer and lacrosse and snowboarding, so I've kind of always been into sports, um, but yeah, that's me. Hello, everybody. I'm Khalil Flyer, a fourth year transfer student majoring in English and African American studies. I'm from Los Angeles, California, the coast with the most. And as such, I'm an LA sports elitist. Prove me wrong. I'll talk anything Lakers, Sparks, Rams, Kings, even Clippers on occasion. Uh, am I forgetting somebody? No, I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. And yeah, that's me. The disrespect to put in the Sparks over the Chargers. Like the car? <laughs> like like the car? That never gets old, man. That never gets old. It's funny the first few times, for sure. <laughs> Khalil, you have an awesome radio voice. You know that? Thanks, man. I just wanted to establish that on the first uh, on our first. Yeah, get that out of the way. Today is uh, okay. It, we are pre-recording this. It is. Today is Saturday, uh, November 7th, 5 p.m. The Bruins are playing the Colorado, what are they, the Buffaloes? First game of the season. Bucks? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> right? I think. And yeah, so we will have a, our first ever guest on in about 10 minutes. He'll be joining us here via Zoom. We'll be talking uh, Pac-12 uh, football. We'll forecast the upcoming COVID season for the Pac-12. Uh, six regular season games for all um, all teams, and uh, we'll talk some UCLA football as well, and uh, whatever else we can get to with um, with our guest Ben Bolch from the LA Times. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, 
let's get started, Khalil. Apparently, Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni, Mike, Mike D'Antoni is back on an NBA roster coaching. Yeah, he's going to be playing a second fiddle to Steve Nash, the guy he has to thank for his career in the first place, in Brooklyn. I think Amari is also an assistant with them along with uh, – who am I forgetting? There's some third assistant. Either way, yeah, it seems like they're going to be doing a sort of collective coaching thing down there, which, you know, could be interesting. They've got a lot of personalities to juggle, so I feel like it's it's going to be key to it's going to be key to balance that early. A lot of temperaments. As far as other NBA news, the big number is the 22nd of December. And that is the date that the NBA players and the league at large are zeroing in on as the time they're going to be starting next season. If that is the date that they go with, it's interesting that it would give the Lakers less than two months of an off season before starting this one. And I think LeBron said either this week or last week that if the league starts before January, he will take the first month of the season off. Wait, so, what? Really? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not a take. That Those are his words. <laughs> oh, I missed that. Wait, that would be interesting. I mean, yeah. it makes sense, but that's load management to the extent. I guess I'm just so surprised to hear LeBron say that because, I mean, the dudes miss, like, you can count on almost one hand yeah, all over his career. <laughs> you know, his injuries and like the games that he's missed, you know, for anything. So, wow. That's just going to be weird. I mean, I, I agree with him actually, but excuse me, but uh, I did not know that. That's news to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That fucks the Lakers over the schedule, but for the sake of returning to some sense of normalcy, I feel like you have to go with the early start. Look, we won a championship. All right. That's all <laughs> I care about. And first championship. Valid. The whole the whole team could take the first month off for all I care. We we all know how next season is going to look. I don't know who's challenging us next year. You know, everyone's scrambling to to find the solution. So we'll see. I don't think yeah. it's going to be a problem though. AD emerged as a superstar. He's easily a top three guy. I think he can carry it for a while. What do you mean he's just now emerging as a superstar? This <laughs> unknown guy named Anthony Davis. Like the last five years. No, I mean, he emerged as a guy that we know can be the best player on a championship team. Because before this, we knew he could be the best player on like a 45, maybe, you know, 47 win team. But mm -hmm. I mean, he went off in the finals. What we saw in the finals was incredible. If he carries that, if he carries the mid-range shooting into next season, he's, you know, he's going to be unstoppable. Anthony Davis for MVP. We're going to start the chatter here early. Yeah. Get a trembling. I have a freezing, I have my first freezing cold, freezing hot take of the academic year. Anthony Davis is the best player in the NBA today. Man, that's crazy. That is a, that is a pretty spicy take. It's also just completely wrong, but. <laughs> I think he's the best makes player. makes a great freezing hot take. He is, that dude can get anything that he wants at any single time ever except an assist <laughs> touche touche yeah, yeah i mean offensive initiation playmaking we saw it in the finals it is the 
premier skill in the league right now. We all thought Rondo was done, but he wasn't because what is his best skill? What is the one thing that he does better than anything else? It's dish the rock. That's right. The Lakers didn't have spacing like other teams. They didn't have crazy defense like the Bucks. They didn't have any one standout trait other than their playmaking, and they rode it all the way to a championship. So I'm going to have to give the nod to playmakers over a guy like AD, who, as good as he is as a play finisher, as a shooter, even as a defender, he's just you, – you can't build an offense around somebody like that. I, I agree. Okay, you know what? That's, 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 that's a good – you calm down my take a little bit. <laughs> let's uh, let's go on to football. Uh, we do have a little bit of football news. We're not going to recap every single game because let's be honest, only like three or four of the games are relevant and we only have an hour and we have a guest. Uh, okay. A couple trades at the trade deadline. It was kind of a, kind of an off year for the trade deadline uh, for the NFL trade deadline, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. A couple big, a couple big um, trades uh, in the, uh, so far this week. Uh, the Chargers traded all pro cornerback Desmond King to the Titans. So the Titans are desperately Wait, the trying who? to. The, uh, the who traded them? Uh, the, <laughs> the Dodge Chargers <laughs> traded Desmond <laughs> King, rescued Desmond King <laughs> to Tennessee. So the Tennessee Titans defense is so bad. And that is the yeah. reason why they are not a one loss or even undefeated team. Uh, granted, they have Ryan Tannehill on offense, but still, it's been working out for them. I think they're so well coached. I think Mike Vrabel's awesome. Obviously, coming from you know New England background and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, they have the worst uh, percentage of uh, third down stops in the league in the NFL, and that's why you know, and, and that's why they even this. Yeah, yeah, Damn. they do. So big move. I, I think that's a good move. I think that's a huge move in the right direction. Clearly, they're trying to win. They're trying to go down for. Uh, uh they're throwing down you know for the for this year next and stuff like that so I, I like that move and then uh Niners uh trade Quan Alexander former Buccaneer to the Saints <sighs> I don't know man I don't know what they're doing I don't know what Quan Alexander has left I love Quan Alexander yeah. I think it's a great I think it's a great uh, pickup from the Saints but I don't really know what the Saints are doing this year. I, I just I, I just can't take them seriously yet. I think Drew Brees, I don't know. Drew Brees, Michael Thomas is hurt every other week. Whatever. But uh, good move on the defense. Good move on the defense. Good addition on the defensive side. Uh, let's, Anna, let's talk about our teams. Let's we, do it. The Packers stink. I will say it. We are, we are frauds, Okay. And I was nervous for this. You get exposed by the Buccaneers and we play the freaking Vikings who the Vikings have absolutely nothing going on for them this year. Absolutely oh, nothing. They're choking. And Dalvin yeah. Cook. Oh, they're absolutely disgusting. Looked like it was going to be about 50 to zero after the first couple of drives for the Packers. But we, because of years of not addressing actually decades, I'll say the last two decades, I've been alive for 27 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And for 20, 20 of those years that I've been like competent and, and following sports and, you know, obviously diehard Packer fan, not one year have we ever valued the inside linebacker position. Actually in the early two thousands, we had Nick Barnett. He was, he was awesome, but that's why a homeless man from the 49ers last year in the NFC championship, one game away from the freaking Super Bowl, ran for over 200 yards, like 250 yards on us. Okay. Is that the Packers, they just don't, um, they just don't value the interior of the defense. So newsflash, 
Khalil, or, uh, <laughs> Khalil, <laughs> Khalil, 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 Dalvin Cook ran for how many touchdowns? He had four touchdowns. He and, had a lot uh, of I think points. He had also two. You know what, to be honest with you, I turned it off by the fourth quarter. I was like, I'm not going to waste my time with this. I, I, I just can't. And I had to go to the beach anyways. But mm-hmm. um, bad defense. Bad, bad defense. I'm concerned. We played the Niners this Thursday. And we'll talk more about the Niners because they have their own issues. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, the Packers stink. And I'm nervous. But we're getting exposed, and we are exactly what I thought we were until we value the inside linebacker, the interior of the defense, and start building on the defense in general. We're going to yeah. be frauds. So, but what's up with the Patriots, man? Tough week. Yeah, so speaking of teams that stink, I mean, everyone's favorite team, the New England Patriots, had a just crushing loss of the Bills. Um, we were actually in it there for pretty much the whole game. I mean, it was a run-heavy game. There was zero passing touchdowns, really poor quarterback play but we are three points down end of the game it's looking good cam newton fumble lost the game probably done for him as a starter at least i think he should be i mean it's been he started off giving us a little bit of hope and now he's just sort of uh killing us oh it looks like i got ben in the waiting room actually though so yeah bring him in we're ready to all right let's hop into we'll, we'll get to him first... in a second yeah okay. we'll get to him yeah yeah let's finish up on the nfl and then uh yeah sounds good um i was gonna ask you about the patriots is yeah bring him bring him go ahead and bring him in yeah yeah this is 2020 y'all this is our recording studio zoom zoom meeting baby we are doing it joining we'll see how it goes okay great yeah so we'll be right with ben in a couple minutes and start our interview with ben um, I just wanted to say something about the uh, about the Patriots. Um, actually, about the Bills. I love the Bills. I love Josh Allen. Big Josh Allen guy. What What are we thinking yeah. as a Patriots fan? What's it like losing to the Bills for the first time in like a century? <laughs> I mean, it, it sucks. I love beating up on AFC East teams. I loved when they were all terrible and we were all good. Uh, and now we get to lose to them, which is fun. But the Bills are looking good. I mean, not particularly in that game, but in general, they're not not doing terrible. So I I love the Bills. We'll see I, how that goes. They got a good squad. They got a they good got squad. A, yeah. Josh Allen is fun to watch. Not only can the dude rock, he has a rocket arm, he can throw it 150 yards, but the guy's tough as nails. The dude is tough, tough, tough. So just a quick question for any Boston natives in here. So is Bill Belichick just tanking this season as a favor to his buddy, Tom Brady, to elevate his legacy? Yeah, I think they're definitely in conspiracy uh, working to solidify Tom's goat status. Um, but no, I mean, Bill Belichick works in mysterious ways. I don't think we'll ever clearly know what he's doing or what he's thinking but i do trust that he's got a plan for us what's up ben all right y'all ben bulge is in the building we will get to ben in a moment as soon as he connects to his audio um also i just wanted to note that it's probably not going to happen because the jets stink but if if the patriots were to lose out it's not going to happen, but if, if I just wanted to make this, make this clear, if the Patriots were to lose out, take the year and get the number one pick and they got Trevor Lawrence 
from Clemson, that would be the worst day of my life. Worst day. That of my would be <laughs> maybe the best thing that Belichick ever I, pulled off ever. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be the greatest thing ever. But when he gets in the league, but that would be the worst worst day of my life. So uh, let's move on. Um, let's see here. One sec. Ben, mic check. Are you good? Yeah. Can you hear me? All right. Sure. Yes, sir. I yeah. am. We are so excited to introduce our first ever guest on Take or Miss, uh, Mr. Ben Bolch. And is that is that pronounced correctly? Ben Bolch. Yes, excellent work. Hard hard <laughs> ch. <laughs> He's a staff writer for the LA Times uh, for over twenty years now, and the UCLA beat writer. Um, he also has a book called "100 Things UCLA Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die." And he yeah. is here to talk everything UCLA and Pac-12 football with us today, uh, especially with this weird uh, shortened COVID season. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, how are you today, sir? Happy week one of Pac-12 football. Yeah, it's the same to all of you. And thank you so much for uh, having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, ben, I, I got to ask you, first off, you are our first ever interview on our first ever airing of the show. This is our first segment ever that will be aired. Uh, where does this rank in your personal slash professional accomplishments? <laughs> this has got to be up there. Yeah, this has got to be yes. up there um, with getting uh, f- free free lunches uh, back in the day when we used to get free lunches at the LA Times. Yeah, this is this is definitely up there with that. So I, I'm, I'm uh, this will be a data to remember for sure. We're honored you're here to hear first. <laughs> uh, let's get right into football. Um, so we got some good stuff for you, Ben. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, is this, so first things first, is this, is this a mulligan year for UCLA, for Chip Kelly? Because UCLA won three and four games, obviously, in his first two seasons as head coach. He's implemented, from what I understand, a bit of a non-traditional approach to a cr- recruiting where he's taking a, a bit more like, recruit and develop, you know what I mean? Approach when uh, that offers scholarships to lower risk, uh, but higher performing academic students that will, you know, breeze through the admissions process, but are mid-level recruits like two and three stars in hopes that they'll kind of develop into fours and fives and contributing players. Uh, and he's at the critical third year when where those first two recruiting classes should start bearing those fruit. So what's the set? Is this a mulligan year? You know, how, how, did, how what, what's your take on that? Yeah, from the information I've been able to gather, um, it's only going to be a mulligan year if the if the virus interferes with the season. Like if they miss, let's say two or three games, and and they're kind of worried about getting players enough players to play a game, then I think you can honestly say it's the mulligan situation. But if they're able to play every game, he's absolutely going to be evaluated on this year, and there's no uh, excuses. Uh, that he's going to be able to, to, to stand on. Um, so, so that, that's the information that I have um, about this season. So it is a significant season, unless there's a disruption, he's going to absolutely, I think he needs to at minimum win four games this year to have any sort of uh, momentum and, and prove to the fan base that he could conceivably be the guy to get it done at UCLA, because let's face it, this is his third year. 
I went through the depth chart and counted 22 guys who have been there uh, all three years, including your wow. quarterback, uh, a, a whole pocket of guys at key positions. So I don't want to say it's now or never, but I think we'll have enough evidence by the end of this year if things are not going well then I think we can say that Chip Kelly is not going to work out at UCLA. So would you say, is he on a hot seat? And if we don't go above 500, so if we don't get the, that, that, that fourth win, which is what honestly as a realistic, you know, diehard, you know, Bruin fan, obviously, you know, that's realistically, that's what I'm, that's my prediction. That's what I'm looking for. Four wins this year, call it a, you know, with everything that's going on, call that, a win in itself and then, you know, move on to next year and stuff like that when hopefully things are back to normal. If we don't go above 500, how hot will that seat become? Oh, it'll become scorching hot. But I, I, I should have added to my previous comments that I don't think he's in danger of getting fired per se this season, but I think that it will add into the mix of the, of the calculus of his whole evaluation. Uh, you know, we mentioned the Mulligan year, um, no, this absolutely counts. Um, and I think he's safe barring just an absolute disaster of, of a one and six, oh, and seven type situation, maybe two and five might might do it if, if it just gets really, really ugly and, and weird. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he'll probably be UCLA's coach in 2021. He's got that nine million dollar buyout uh, that doesn't expire until uh, the middle of January 2022. That's a pretty big, hefty uh, number there. Um, so he's got that kind of built-in protection. But, you know, as I've written before, uh, the crowds at the Rose Bowl are dwindling. They were a record low last season. Obviously, that's not going to be a factor this year because of COVID. But, um, you know, if, if there's zero buzz and excitement about UCLA football after this season going into a season when fans can come back, you know, that buyout becomes a lot less of an issue because you have to generate money where you can. Football is such a big revenue source for the athletic department that if they don't think there's any excitement about UCLA football, they really have to look very hard at making a change uh, atop their uh, coaching chart. Yeah, I remember it was crazy. Like last year, the Oklahoma game, they were just offering, like for all the students, they're like, every student can have four free tickets. Like just just bring people to this game. Like it was crazy. You had kids there like for the summer and they were like, yeah, I just have four tickets to a UCLA Oklahoma game because just no one wanted to come watch them get destroyed. Yeah, and they also had those, uh, those uh, come to college days where they have like, you know, 10,000 high school students sitting in the end zone uh, they have all sorts, you know, the junior cheerleader day where you've got 5,000, uh, you know, 12 year old cheerleaders on the, on the, on the field. So they, they find a way to kind of pad uh, the, the attendance. And, and, and here's an interesting uh, fact as well. They count, they count media as part of the attendance, which I think is kind of hilarious. So oh my God. Uh, figured into statistically to UCLA football every time I show up at the Rose Bowl, which I think is just, is just awesome. Well, thank you for your service when it comes to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you for your support. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really quick question that I had for you was, so with the hiring of Martin Jarman as the new athletic director, do we think that that strengthens or weakens his position? Because usually when new management comes in, they like to hire their own guys. Do you think that we might see that along the fringes? Do you think that we... Where do you think that's going to come into play? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it kind of cuts both ways because 
I think Martin Jarman wants to see Chip Kelly succeed more than anybody at UCLA. But on the flip side, he needs UCLA football to be a strong, thriving entity. And if it's not under Chip Kelly, he's definitely going to be looking to get somebody who can make it that, that way. So, um, you know, I, I can see this kind of going both ways. If Chip can kind of turn this around, maybe get four wins this year and then, you know, take off a little bit in 2021, uh, Martin becomes, you know, really his biggest uh, backer. But, you know, if it continues to stagnate or, 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 or backslide, then, then Martin Jarman is really, I think, not going to be on the Chip Kelly bandwagon at all. I just wanted to add to the uh, Martin Jarman question um, by Khalil. Uh, what's, what impacts, you know, you know, obviously positively, what, what positive impacts is he going to have, you know, as the new athletic director as a whole for, you know, for all of UCLA athletics, you know, going, going forward in the future, what, what is the exact like significance of a athletic director hiring, you know, in, in a, you know, major uh, university that, that excels in so many different sports? Yeah, it's a, it's a long answer, but I mean, some of the big things that I've noticed already are, I mean, number one, he's accessible. Number two, he's out there on social media. He's doing cool branding things like this. I wrote about today, UCLA is going to have this uh, so, uh, social justice messaging on their uniforms. And, you know, Martin Jarman signed off on that, not to say Dan Guerrero wouldn't have, but, you know, I think he's eliminating a lot of the red tape and the small mindedness that's kind of permeated UCLA athletics for many, many years. And it's really a refreshing uh, era uh, that he's brought in already. And, um, you know, another thing that he's been really, really good at is fundraising. Um, and UCLA, let's face it, they, they, they could be on the verge of some donor fatigue here. They've raised like half a billion dollars in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. When you look at the, the different projects and Centennial campaign, campaign the refurbishment of Pauley Pavilion, the Wasserman Football Center, all these things have just ate up so much money. And I think that, um, you know, if Dan Guerrero was still around, it would have been a little bit harder to raise the money that UCLA is going to need to, you know, keep on the trajectory of what it wants to do. And I think Martin Jarman, you know, once he can actually physically get in front of people and this virus abates a little bit, is going to be just the person UCLA needs to kind of kickstart that, that, that fundraising machine that they're going to need to be you know, one of the big boys, so to speak, in, in college athletics in the Pac-12. Pac Within that, that, those, uh, that budget, let's say, the, the donors, the fundraising, did the freaking $5.4 million that just came out from the, from the food bill last season? Speaking did, of did free that lunches. Did it what, I'm sorry? Did that come out of that, that funding? Oh, well, it came out of their budget for sure. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, they're, they're still paying, that was part of their, um, you know, they had an $18.9 million deficit for fiscal year uh, 2019. And I'm sure that, that, that fed, uh, fed into it, as we might say. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny, I actually asked Chip about that the other day about the optics of paying $5.4 million for food at a time when you're significantly in the red. And he gave me kind of a testy response about being in alignment with the with the university, which I thought was was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, not not a lot of uh, Chip worrying about the bottom line here. He's making a record salary. He's living at large in the Washington Football Center, and they're eating food unlike anybody else on campus. So 
uh, definitely some interesting uh, times going on over there. Speaking of Coach Kelly and you, I we I, I love you know following your interviews and your your tweets and stuff like that with him. Are you and Coach Kelly frenemies? What is, you, <laughs> what is your relationship? How would you with characterize yeah. that? Yeah, you should have a sitcom, right? I think it would yeah. be hilarious. I don't know if you guys uh, were around when TJ Simers uh, worked at the LA Times and him and Coach Morrow would just go back and forth uh, in kind of like a, a, a fun loving jabbing way and, and I don't think that Chip and I really have that going on but I think there is kind of a mutual respect there you know I, I think that uh, you know not not counting his uh, you know record on the field I, but I respect him as a football coach and obviously he knows a lot about the game and and when he Interesting thing is when he wants to engage on a topic, he can be as good as anybody I've ever interviewed and really in, in, uh, insightful and entertaining and funny. Like he let me sit in on one of his coaching clinics when he first got here uh, up in that beautiful room in the Wasserman facility that overlooks the practice field. And he, he had me laughing. I mean, there were like, you know, a hundred high school football coaches in there. And he was, I just thought he was like hilarious and like easy to, identify with and relatable but then you know you listen to some of our transcripts from our interviews and it's like a completely different person so it is it is kind of an interesting back and forth um i i actually like dealing with chip i feel like i kind of understand him now and and you know he is kind of as advertised and sometimes i like to poke him a little bit um you know just to see what just to see you know how what he'll say and, and normally i know what he's going to say but i still think it's interesting and fun and you know i i i get the sense that know he's given me some some fun quips back the other way as well so I, I think that you know there is a, a level of mutual respect there sometimes you got to poke the Bruin poke the, <laughs> poke the Bruin you know uh, I love it I think it's great it makes for great great content honestly uh let's go on to more of like the roster and uh and 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 you know this upcoming schedule in the season and stuff like that I, you know what, I'm trying not to lose sleep over this, okay? If Dorian Thompson, T Thomas Robinson, God forbid, were to go down with an injury, do we go winless this year? You know what I mean? Because the backup quarterback, he switched wide receiver because he wants playing time, right? So if he goes down, do we go 0-6? Um, you know, you might be able to pull out that Arizona game maybe, but um... – it's it's going to be really hard. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of of this over the last couple of years. You know, when Josh Rosen went down with Mike Faithful to walk on. But my my biggest thing is this goes back to roster management with with Chip Kelly. And let's face it, it's not on uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. You know, you had Colson Yankoff, who you mentioned, who was looking pretty promising as a backup, and now he's kind of off the table. And Chip said that he's not even. You know, if Dorian went down, I said, does he still have one foot in the quarterback room in case he needs to come back over? And he said, no, he's, he's a full-time wide receiver now. So that leaves your two options as Chase Artopius, a walk-on, a redshirt freshman walk-on, uh, and Chase Griffin, who was not highly recruited, uh, even though he was the Texas State Player of the Year, he's really kind of undersized. He might be like five feet nine. They list him at 5'11". I think he's closer to five, nine, and there's huge questions about whether he has the size to play, uh, you know, Pac-12 football. So those are your two like options in that situation. And that is not great, especially considering either one of them has thrown a, a pass at the college level. So I think your point is a good one. If Dorian Thompson Robinson goes down for more than a series this year, uh, UCLA is going to be in big, big trouble. 
And just to, just to add on to DTR, um, you know, it, it seems like, I don't know, from some of the interviews and stuff like that. And, and, you know, it seems like he's very confident this going into this new season and stuff like that. It seems like he's really confident and he, you know, he's kind of riding the ship and definitely progressing as a player and, and, you know, his, his personal confidence as well. But like, do you, you know, he said, what, what did he say? I think, was he talking to you when he said that he hasn't turned the ball over once in, in so far in practice or, or something like that? Yeah. Will yeah. he actually take care of the ball this season? Because I think that if he, if he can just take, he had the most turnovers, right. In the, in the, in the conference in college football last year. Yeah. He was either, I think tied or number one uh, in, in turnovers with 19, 12 interceptions and seven lost fumbles. And I think at least four of those were just the ball slipping out of his hand without being hit, which is, you know, kind of an inexcusable uh, for a quarterback to, to, to have that happen, you know, maybe more than once in a season. So you know, he said he went through training camp without, uh, you know, losing a fumble or having a pass intercepted. Critics will say, well, yeah, you're, you know, they're not tackling you. So that's, that's going to make a difference, which is true. But then on the, the flip side is, you know, a lot of his fumbles were coming unforced errors. Uh, and he's saying that he's eliminated those. So that'll definitely be something to watch. But, you know, with, with him, it's kind of interesting. He can make like great, he, he does a lot of high level things. He can make great passes, throws darts. He can run, he, you know, he's mobile. Uh, he just really needs to do the little things better to me. I mean, like we've seen that he's had trouble making short passes, particularly on the run. And, you know, you're like, why can't you make a five yard pass to an open guy? Uh, and he's had trouble with those touch passes. And then, you know, the fumbles that we've mentioned already. So I think those are two things that I'll be watching closely. If he can do those things, he really will become, you know, an, uh, have enough of a skill set to become uh, what I think would be a top tier Pac-12 quarterback. I agree with that. And uh, yeah, the, the four un, or, you know, some of those unforced fumbles, people are asking, does, does DTR have small hands? I don't know. Kinda I weird. don't have an answer there. It's not raining out here. It's not raining in Southern California. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. So Ben, I think the question, all the people want to know, uh, do we have a chance against SC this year? at all uh it's gonna be tough i think the the two factors that could potentially work in ucla's favor and the big one is number one it's at the rose bowl there's no denying that that makes a huge difference i think that's at least a seven point edge for ucla just in playing at the rose bowl obviously without fans it'll be a little bit different but i think there's definitely a psychological edge and if you look at the results they've played much better uh, at the rose bowl against sc and the other thing is if they get some momentum going from having, you know, some, some wins early in the season, a lot of people are actually picking them, uh, you know, to start the year with a couple of wins. Uh, I, they're kind of a fashionable, I think most people are picking them to beat Colorado and they're kind of, UCLA's kind of a fashionable pick to beat Utah, which I think is interesting. You know, if they go two and oh, and, you know, I don't think anybody's picking them to win at Oregon, but, you know, if they can win, you know, three or four games before that SC game, uh, and have that momentum and then coming into playing in the Rose Bowl, I think in that situation, uh, I would like their chances a lot more than if, let's say, they're, you know, one and one and four or, or whatever it'll be before playing SC. Uh, I think that that could really kind of tip the scales uh, in UCLA's favor. You know, so look at this. Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it, you know, it is at the, I, I believe it's the last game of the year, isn't it? US, USC and UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. It I is think a, you're right. Yeah. 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 So, 
um, you know, just kind of kind of overlooking the the Pac-12 or I'm sorry, the 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 Bruins schedule. I see four winnable games on there. OK, that, what do you got? What do you got? What do we, well, what do you got? Because I I think well, right. I think Colorado and, and Arizona. Yes, definitely. Absolute locks. Right. Lock of the week. Lock of the season. What about Arizona and Arizona? Or I'm sorry. Uh, if, if Utah, if we do, in fact, win that game. I think that's a winnable game, whether we do or not. Arizona State, is that a possibility? It's at Arizona State, and I think they're going to be pretty mad about last year. And they've got a pretty darn good quarterback with Jaden Daniels. So I think that's kind of like a payback game. But I'd say, you know, as of now, I'd say it's a 60-40 game in Arizona State's favor. But, I, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, everybody's expecting them to, to beat Colorado. But my, my counterpoint to that is Chip Kelly has never – started a season well. I mean, they started 0-5 his first year. They started 0-3 last year and, and were like down a bazillion to, to 12 against Washington State or whatever it was and had to have that crazy comeback to win that game. So that's going to be a different trend uh, setter if they can if they can beat Colorado. It's certainly, you know, possible, but that would kind of flip the script on, on how Chip Kelly's teams have operated on UCLA. But let's say, all right, let's say uh, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, uh, I think, you know, Arizona State will be tough. Uh, um, SC, they'll be an underdog. And, and who else is there? Look, I, I can't even remember. Oregon Ducks. Oregon Ducks. Oh, Oregon, I think that's a loss. That's I don't think there's way. I agree. Um, so is that – are we missing anything? Is that the sixth? That they're going to play in the seventh game and how that's going to go. Yeah. Well, the seventh game is supposed is slotted to be the, uh, the Pac-12 championship game, isn't it? Well, if they're not in it, then they'll play another game regardless. But, oh, is that right? Yeah. The question is, is it, is it a, um, there's been speculation that either could be a makeup week for games that got postponed because of the virus, or they could just do, uh, you know, Pac-12 North three versus Pac-12 South three and kind of match them up that way. So they haven't announced it, but I, from what I've heard, that's the most likely way that they're going to go. Interesting. I see. Well, that's news to me. I didn't know about the, the, the makeup week, but I think that's a great idea. And I think that's, uh, I think that's really uh, relevant, especially for this year. I mean, we see the big 10 right now. Oh my God. Wisconsin's going through it right now. I'm from Wisconsin originally. So, you know, I'm, you know, I'm always for the Badgers for sure, but you know, right. I mean, it's, it's Bruins, you know, and then, and then Badgers right behind that, but you know what I mean? Like they, they had the, they have a huge COVID uh, wave right now in, you know, throughout the state, but especially in the Eastern side of the state. And, you know, their quarterback just went down and now they had to cancel. So they canceled what North or uh, I'm sorry, Nebraska last week, I believe. And then this week they already called off the game against Purdue. Right. So like it, it's just crazy to me that, that that's happening over there. And then, you know, so far in LA, you know, up to this point, and I think throughout the whole PAC 12 and correct me if I'm wrong, they've, it seems like they've done a pretty good job of, of the COVID prevention and, and, and you know, kind of, you know, preparing all the coaches and the staff and, and especially the players, you know, um, uh, without, you know, any, any outbreaks. And UCLA only had one kid op, opt out for the season, right? Uh, That's right. COVID. So it's interesting times, but I, I think because of how other uh, conferences are, you know, kind of observing how, how their seasons are going and how, you know, games are getting canceled and teams are, you know, having to forfeit games or cancel games and stuff like that. I think that's really wise that, uh, that the PAC 12 allows that. Um, 
for, for the final week of the season, especially if we don't make the, you know, the Pac-12 championship. So that's good. Yeah. Um, do you think they're going to pull it off? I mean, or do you think this, this shortened season is sort of just going to get overrun with, with virus stuff, or do you think they're in a pretty good spot to make it work? Yeah, you know, two things on that. I mean, Chip Kelly's mentioned how Westwood, for whatever reason, has not been impacted greatly by the virus, which I find interesting because I had heard at one point that Brentwood was a hotspot and, you know, Brentwood's basically right next door to, to Westwood, but he's saying their doctors are saying that there's not much spread in Westwood. If that's true, that's going to hugely benefit UCLA. And the other thing is, got to give them credit. They've done a great job of, of limiting the spread uh, so far, you know, they say that they're in a dorm uh, altogether and uh, basically keeping them away from other people. Uh, I think that's really smart. Um, you know, the numbers have bared that out. They had the one positive that was a false positive uh, that they basically were worried about about a week ago. Uh, but since that, they really haven't had any since training camp started. And I think, you know, that, that they can keep that positive momentum going and they get this game in this week and kind of get that excitement and, and understanding what this what this means if they can continue this trajectory of not letting the virus kind of infiltrate their ecosystem, as they like to say. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a chance that UCLA can get through this uh, unscathed, knock on wood. Yeah, I mean, definitely fingers crossed for a full shortened season. Um, okay, so with everything we've talked about, if you had to give just an overall letter grade to the UCLA roster and talent this year. What do you think you would, that would be? I would probably say, I think a fair grade would be a B minus. I mean, I think there's definitely some talent there. The biggest problem I have is that Chip Kelly has not recruited at a high enough level to kind of take UCLA up to that next notch up that they need to get to. I mean, you look at a lot of the guys who are going to be contributors this year, and they're still still significant guys going back to the Jim Mora era. I mean, you've got Dorian was recruited by Jim Mora, Oso Digizua, the best player on defense is a Jim Mora guy. Um, I, I think uh, I think he I think Mora was recruiting Kyle Phillips. I could be wrong on that. I can't remember, but you know some of those some of those guys who were freshman chips year uh, were brought in by Mora. So. Um, you know, there, there's been a handful of guys he's brought in that are, are, are kind of program cornerstones like Sean Ryan, um, um, Chase Coda, a couple other guys. But um, by and large, the, um, the roster is not restocking with high enough end players to give you any sort of confidence that UCLA can be a team that's going to be in the Pac-12 championship and contending uh, for titles, so that that's that's why I get that the B the B minus, and there there's a good amount of um, I mentioned the 22 guys have been there three years. That's a that's a good thing because it means they've got significant experience, um, but just not enough talent, not enough four and five star guys. I'm trying to think if there's any five star guys on this roster left. You know, I think Darnay Holmes might have been the last one, uh, and Keyshawn Lucier South, and they both left after last year. I think those were the last two five-star guys on the roster. Since when can't UCLA get five stars? This is crazy. So quick question then, next recruiting cycle, where are our priorities? What do you think are like our top three needs that we should really like when we're trying to go out and get those four or five-star prospects, where do you think we should be focusing? 
Well, I think you always need to focus on on three spots: the uh, the offensive and defensive lines, and quarterback. You know, I, I hate the cliche about it's a game one in the trenches, but it's really true. And UCLA's defensive line—they've got some dudes there, but the the depth is not good. And and that's one of the things that's been puzzling about the Chip Kelly era is roster management. You know, they basically have like 22 new linebackers this year because they lost everybody. And instead of kind of staggering it and build, bringing in guys, like they didn't bring in any significant guys, you know, I think uh, not last year, but the year before that, um, just really neglected linebacker recruiting. And then this year brought in a bunch of guys and are gonna have to like plug them in immediately. And maybe some of those guys will pan out and some won't, but you need to like really kind of keep tabs on every position year by year. And it feels like in a lot of ways, Chip Kelly is just kind of loading up at the last minute and, and to develop guys, particularly on the lines, they need to be multi-year guys, you know, playing by like their third year in the program, not, not throwing them in in the first year. And Chip Kelly has not done a good job kind of staggering his approach. Here's to better, here's to better years after, <laughs> after this. We'll see how this one goes. I, I, I'm going to stay optimistic. I'm going to stay optimistic. At least we're getting a season. At least, you know, we have half a season and stuff like that. <laughs> everything everything is an asterisk season to me anyways this year. So, <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, let's actually segue a little bit. Let's move on to uh, kind of your personal journey, your, your career as a, uh, as a journalist and stuff like that. Um, how did, it's kind of like a, a loaded question here. How did you get your current gig at LA Times and as a UCLA beat writer? And, you know, is this your dream job? I mean, if I, if, if it's me, that's, um, that's the best life ever. You know what I mean? Is this your dream job or was this your dream job? And um, will you also include your academic journey experience as well? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You know, I've been at the LA times for almost 21 years now. And even from a pretty early point, I'd always wanted to cover UCLA. I remember when it came, the beat came open in 2003, I think it was, and I really, really wanted to cover it. But at that time they thought I was too young and gave it to somebody else. So I was really bummed about that. Um, but I had a chance to, to come back and, and get it. Uh, I think I got it for a year during Howland's run in like 2010, 2011, was just doing basketball and just loved UCLA. And then uh, weirdly enough, I got promoted to the NBA, which, uh, I guess, I don't know if that's weird, but I wasn't happy about it. But that, maybe that's the weird part because I love college basketball. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, it's interesting. I was actually, uh, I think I was two months old when uh, UCLA played uh, my hometown team, North Carolina State, in the 1974 nas uh, national semifinal and lost. Uh, so you can blame me for that. I guess it was a curse of Ben Bulge <laughs> that did uh, the dynasty there. Yeah, but, thanks um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I've always kind of felt that I had a, a weird UCLA connection, even being across the country. But yeah, I've always wanted to cover it. Um, I came back and uh, after five years on the NBA in 2016, got the, the fun of the Lonzo year, which I loved. Uh, but uh, football wise have not really had anything to enjoy except for maybe the Texas A&M comeback and then the uh, Washington State comeback. Other than that, bleak, bleak period. Those were electric, electric games. Yeah, I'll never forget. I was actually visiting Westwood for the Texas A&M game. I was at Boiling Crab down in Westwood. 
and I, I, I was still, in the, I was still in the army at the time. I wasn't even, I still had like two years left, you know, before I even got out and, you know, started my journey as a full-time student and stuff like that. And I'll never, ever forget that game kind of got away from it. Cause you know, I was like, Oh, it's going to be a blowout and stuff like that. And I just kept checking, checking it's closer and closer and eating some, you know, some crab legs. That, that was an incredible <laughs> memory. So that was insane. So you, but so you grew up in North Carolina. So and, and you say your home team or, you know, the, the local home team for you was your affiliation would have been NC State. Wasn't, and that was, let's see, you said what, 74? Yeah, and then they won again in 83 with Jim Valvano. So I was, I was, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. So you were there, you were growing up during the Jim, Jimmy V years. Yes, that was my, uh, that was my love. That was why I've always loved college basketball because <laughs> – of Jimmy V and ACC basketball in the eighties was just insane with the number, with the amount of talent and like the hall of fame coaches on basically every team. It was just, I mean, college basketball for me, even though it's not what it was, will always have a very special place in my heart. That's why I always love it. Every time I go to Paul I pavilion. That is absolutely incredible. I, and you know, we'll, we'll cover a segment, you know, later on in our show and stuff like that, you know, talking about like the best, you know, comebacks or the best, like, you know, you know, miraculous Cinderella stories or, 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 you know, the best stories in sports. And, and I mean, top two, top three has to be that Jimmy V uh, championship run in, in, uh, and they made a 30 for 30 documentary on it. It was just, yeah. it was just the most unbelievable incredible stories in sports history and college basketball history. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah. And my, um, I want to interject here that the, the, the first round game against Pepperdine, which may have been the craziest game was played at Oregon state skill Coliseum. So every time I go up there, I just look around and kind of get goosebumps because uh, you know, probably one of my greatest sports memories from being a kid watching that game on TV, I actually gave up uh, kind of like, you know, that Texas A&M football game. I gave, they were down six points, with like 40 seconds ago, I gave up and went to sleep and woke up and read the paper and I'm like, what, what happened? But uh, yeah, so that's that's always uh, special for me. Anytime I go up there, that's that's my Pac-12 NC State connection. I think a lot of people did, you know, that you know they and then they started doing the 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 fouling and stuff like that at the end, and then of course the rest is history. What that's incredible and ironic that it was against Pepperdine down the road. And, and Jim Herrick was uh, Pepperdine's coach then, the uh, who coached UCLA during the '95 national championship. So another connection there. Who knew? Okay, so let's talk about your book. Um, a hundred things UCLA fans should know and do before they die, which I really want to read now because I didn't know there's a book out there like that. And I'm like, I feel like I should do some of these things before I die. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was wondering if you have like a favorite, like personal memory or experience just throughout like all your time watching UCLA sports or covering UCLA sports, like any funny, crazy things or just amazing. Yeah, you know, this didn't, I don't know that, I don't think this made the book, which is, is probably not a good selling point for the book, but I, I think probably my craziest UCLA experience was watching the, um, the, the at the end of the 2010-11 season, it was the final game in Poly Pavilion before they refurbished it, and uh, UCLA was blowing out Arizona, which was highly ranked at the time, UCLA was coming on strong at the end of that season, and in the final minute, uh, they had the walk-ons in. And uh, Jack Haley Jr., the son of Jack Haley, who played for UCLA, just threw up an absolute air ball. And on the other end of the, of the air ball, Tyler Trapani, who's uh, John Wooden's grandson, caught the ball and made a layup, made alley-oop layup. 
Uh, I think it was the only points he ever had at UCLA. It was in the final minute of that final game at, at Poly Pavilion. And I'll never forget Ben Hallen crying in the uh, post game, you know, and Ben oh Hallen emotional. Uh, so to me, that, that might've been my most memorable moment. I mean, obviously you've got those comebacks we've talked about against, uh, you know, uh, Texas A&M and, and, and Washington state, but as far as like on a human level moment to me, that was, that was really special and something, uh, I'll always remember. I think they even put Bill Plaschke's column about that moment up in the UCLA uh, Athletic Hall of Fame. If you ever go on there, look for that because I think it's up there. That's wow. so awesome. This is why sports is life. I love sport. We we yeah, watch. That's the best part of sports. Play for moments like that, I think I think that's the coolest thing. So, Ben, this has been so awesome. Thank you, sir. I really, really appreciate you being a part of history. Okay, top top moments. Yes. You know what I mean, right here. I really appreciate you coming on. We, we're really thankful. Yeah, anytime. Great coming on. Great conversation. And I uh, look forward to uh, being back on here. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, everybody. Yes, sir. Bye, then. Have a great one. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And we talked almost all the way through our, uh, through our hours. So that's, that's, that's phenomenal. I'm, I'm, you know I, what they say. Time flies. When you're having fun, yeah. talking yeah, so about we're just we're just we're just cracking it here, right? Like we're taking a taking a break before we go back in. This is not we're not still being recorded right now. We are definitely being recorded right now. Oh, it's fully recording. <laughs> yeah, we would love to have Ben on anytime because uh, basketball season will definitely be more of a uplifting and optimistic, a time brighter. For yeah, us Brewers fan, Bruins fans, you know what I mean. So, but. I, real quick, before we move on to anything, I want both of your takes. I want both of your predictions on the Bruins record this year for football. I say, what is it, six games? I'm going three, and three, and three. We're a solid 500, average at best. It's realistic. I like it. Keep it real. Khalil, what do you got, bro? Two and four. Come on, man. Two Come. and four. Two and four. I have I have no six and oh. I have no faith in in Chip Kelly whatsoever. I'm not even I'm not even joking. I haven't I haven't read anything that leads me to believe that he's gonna be able to deal with the insanity that a COVID year will be. Right? Yeah. Because it's all about yeah. adaptability. Because yeah. a situation could come up at any moment and you know if he's the kind of guy like Ben was describing where he just kind of throws things together and he's very reactionary, that's not going to work in this kind of environment. So we'll see, you know, we, we will see. I, I like that. You know what? I'm going to be an optimist. I'm going four. We're going to get that magic four. Four is up, baby. Four is actually my favorite number. Oh, yeah. Four and two. We're going to, I don't know, man. I, I think the two, I think the two losses we'll have, I'll go Arizona state and Oregon we're, but we're beating the hell out of USC believe me. yeah we are yeah oh. for sure it happens you know what here's the thing actually. not a doubt in my mind here's the thing if this is crazy to say but I mean you know we're here to give I'm here to give freezing you know hot takes right okay so if we go one in five and that one win is against uh, USC you know what it the the season was a win to me you know what I mean agreed <laughs> fully agreed glass give half full give me the yes yeah Talking optimism. Yeah. So, uh, well, guys, let us wrap it up. So, I just want to talk about next week's uh, episode, next week's show. 
um, on next week's show for, so airing this on Saturday, hopefully we'll have a president by then, an elected president, and that will be behind us. Let's hope. And we can focus on some Pac-12 football, we can focus on some NFL football, and the Pats and Packers definitely not looking like absolute garbage. Um, next week's show for Veterans Day week, we will have a very, very special guest, uh, Nate Boyer. Uh, he's an Army Special Forces veteran. Uh, he's a former long snapper for the Texas Longhorns. And I believe he, he made an all-conference team. Uh, he was the oldest rookie to ever try out for an NFL roster with the Seattle Seahawks uh, following his graduation. <clears throat> he is the co-founder of MVP, which is Merging Vets and Players, along with Jake Glazer. Uh, vets Hole in One, uh, which is a golf uh, organization for vets combined with mindful meditation. Uh, and famously, the open uh, an open supporter for uh, Colin Kaepernick's kneeling protest uh, back when that was going on a few years ago. Uh, we'll talk about his first ever film release that he's that he just uh, finished, uh, his personal journey from Army Special Operations to college football to the NFL, and of course, talk some Colin Kaepernick. And uh, stay tuned because we, like I said, we'll also we might also have a very special guest that we are working on for uh, next week. Um, you guys got also follow our twitter we have a official twitter account for our show take or miss uh it's at take or miss ucla that is it at take or miss ucla follow us we will uh post information and stuff like that of our uh of our content and uh reminders and stuff like that and our guest so yeah follow Tell your follow, friends follow, take or miss ucla get your mom get your dad get your friends get your classmates get your teammates etc etc bring them on you guys got right. i think that does it for uh first ever take or miss thank you for listening good work guys have a great one peace <laughs>